This morning I'd like to turn back to the 8th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew just briefly, and then we're going to turn to Leviticus, the 14th chapter. Last week we looked at the opening verses of Matthew chapter 8 where it says in verse 1, When he, speaking of Jesus, was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Notice again verse 4, Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Obviously Jesus, first of all, wants this man to comply with the law of Moses. As we've mentioned before with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus did not come as a revolutionary, but rather he came to fulfill the law of Moses. And so he tells this man that he's to go and obey what the uh, law of Moses commanded. But also, he said, it's going to be a testimony unto them, a testimony of a delivered individual, but also, I believe, a testimony of the power and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then the question comes to my mind, what is the gift that Moses commanded? As you turn to the 14th chapter of the book of Leviticus, uh, you'll find uh, if you're uh, going to read the Bible through this year. You're going to come to this chapter here before too long and the chapter before it. And it may seem uh, a little tedious reading, but Charles Spurgeon once said that uh, as he read the Old Testament, he tried with every verse to take that verse directly to Calvary and find as best he could how it would teach about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's wisdom. That's uh, even Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think they, you have eternal life. He said, but they are they which testify of me. And I realize that sometimes as you get to reading about the generations of individuals and uh, the begetting of men, and, and then as you get into Exodus and start reading about uh, the details of the tabernacle and the furnishings and the clothing of the priest and the various offerings to be made that if you're not careful, you can you get a little bored reading that. But if you will um, keep your mind on the Lord Jesus Christ and how most all those things are a picture of him, it's not boring reading at all. And quite it's, uh, it's quite uh, instructive and, uh, and encouraging. So here in the 14th chapter, the book of Leviticus, seems a little strange what God is going to require of a cleansed leper. It says in verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp. Now, he's going to be brought to the priest, meaning brought so far. He still cannot come into the camp of the people. Uh, but he's now out of the leprous camp. And the priest will now come to where he's at. It says, And the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look. And behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper... Then shall the priest command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds alive and clean and cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. 
And he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and wash himself in water that he may be clean. And after that he shall come into the camp and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. But it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave all his hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows. Even all his hair he shall shave off and he shall wash his clothes. Also he shall wash his flesh in water and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two he lambs without blemish and one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish and three tenth dills of fine flour for a meat offering mingled with oil and one log of oil. And the priest that maketh him clean shall present the man that is to be made clean and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall take one he lamb and offer him for a trespass offering and the log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall slay the lamb in the place where he shall kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take some of the log of the oil, and pour it into the palm of his own left hand. And the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and shall sprinkle of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And the rest of the oil that is in his hand shall the priest put upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot offering, upon the blood, excuse me, of the trespass offering. And the oil would go over top of the blood. And the remnant of the oil that is in the priest's hands, he shall pour upon the head of him that is to be cleansed, and the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord. And the priest shall offer the sin offering and make an atonement for him that is to be cleansed from his uncleanness, and afterward he shall kill the burnt offering, and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the meat offering upon the altar, and the priest shall make an atonement for him, and he shall be clean." Now, he's going to go on and let him know what can happen in the case of a man that's too poor to bring three lambs, that he can bring a lamb and also two turtle doves or two young pigeons, and there'll be still a sin offering, a trespass offering, and a burn offering. But either way, there's to be a sin offering, a trespass offering, and also a burn offering. But before all this happens, before the tabernacle of the camp of meeting they first have to do some things that's outside the camp. This is a very interesting, there's no other offering that you're going to find in the word of God quite like the first offering that is made for the leper. Again, the Lord spake unto Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now, if you noticed as we read through there, it'll mention that he's clean. And then it'll mention he's to be cleansed. It'll say he's clean. And he's to be cleansed. It kind of keeps going back and forth. There's a cleansing. He's clean. And then there's another cleansing. Say, so what in the world does all that mean? Well, just like for you and I, there's multiple cleansings that you and I have gone through. You and I, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, we need to be cleansed by the Holy Spirit and given life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a cleansing that only the Lord Jesus could do through the Spirit of the living God. We couldn't do that ourselves. Then the man was to shave off his hair. He was to wash himself. In other words, he was to consecrate his life uh, to serve the Lord. 
But once he had made the decision that he is going to do these things in these seven days, now there's to be a ceremonial cleansing that's to take place at the house of God. There's something that's going to be displayed for all the people of Israel that they can see. And as you read about that uh, cleansing that takes place when the priest makes atonement, it's actually a beautiful picture of our same profession of faith when we come before the Lord's people and say we want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that we're united to Christ as a disciple is how? Through baptism, which pictures the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's emblems here in the sin offering, trespass offering, and burn offering that is linking this man to a cleansing that has already occurred. When you are baptized, you're not cleansing yourself from sins in a literal sense. That's already been done by the Lord Jesus Christ. Metaphorically, uh, experientially though, you are cleansing yourself from sin when you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, remember what Paul experienced uh, as he describes his encounter with Ananias. When Ananias told him that he was to rise, be baptized, and what? Wash away thy sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. Paul was already a cleansed sinner, but Paul needed to feel the answer of a good conscience toward God by openly declaring he was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism. And that's what we see pictured here in the 14th chapter of the book of Leviticus. Now notice this individual that comes, he's already been healed of his leprosy. Notice again, he says in verse 2, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He's not going to call for the priest until he notices that something has transpired. Something has happened to him. This is a supernatural healing. Notice the priest didn't just go out into the leprous camp of people and say, here, I've brought two birds, and with these birds, I'm going to make an offering for you, and this is going to cleanse you of your leprosy. That's not what happened. Uh, these individuals, and by the way, there's no one in recorded history among the Israelite people that ever used, in the Old Testament day, this law. You will not find the first Jewish person that ever was... Again, it may have happened, but there's no record in the Word of God of anybody that ever used the 14th chapter of the book of Leviticus. Now, in the New Testament, again, Jesus told the man in Matthew 8, he also told the ten that were healed that they were to go and show themselves to the priest. In other words, they were to do what's uh, contained here. But as we mentioned last week, and I did miss one, there were actually three people in the Old Testament that were healed of leprosy. The first one being Moses, because if you remember when God called him to go back to the land of Egypt, uh, he, uh, Moses questioned God about that, and so he needed a sign. And he said, what's that in thine hand? He said, it's a rod. He told him to cast it down, and it became a serpent, and God told him to reach down, and when he reached down and took it, it became a rod again. Well, then for another sign, what does God tell you? He says, you put your right hand uh, within your cloak or inside his shirt or whatever tunic or whatever he's wearing. And when he pulled it out, what was it? It was leprous. It was white. Would have been quite shocking to Moses. Well, uh, the Lord tells him, put it back in again. And when he pulls it back out, his hand was whole. Now, this is before the law was given about the cleansing of a leper. Now, later in the book of Numbers, we mentioned about Miriam, uh, how that she and also Aaron... They contended with Moses because he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, are we not 
uh, prophets also. In other words, they, they tried to take themselves to the level that Moses had. Now, it is true that God appointed Aaron a responsibility with Moses, but yet Moses was the deliverer of the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, not Aaron. Aaron would have a great responsibility as God's high priest, but he was not the prophet that God had called. And so God rebukes both Aaron, but then he also rebukes Miriam, but makes her a leper in the sight of both Moses and Aaron. Moses intercedes for her, and God tells Moses, if her father had spit in her face, that she would have been unclean for seven days. He says, so for seven days she shall be a leper. And after that, she would be healed, and she was. And because God stood in, and God took care of that, she didn't have to follow what we find here in the 14th chapter of the book of Leviticus. You say, well, then was Leviticus 14 useless, pointless? No. Again, just because there's no record of any Jew that ever had to go through this, that doesn't mean it never happened. But it also points us, I think, to a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then also our discipleship. Now notice again it says that this shall be the, le- the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest, notice this, command to take for him, this man didn't bring this, the priest commands that this be brought for him, this later he's got to bring lambs. But in this case, this is something that was to be provided for him, not something that he had to provide uh, for himself. When he was going to come before the camp of Israel and make a public testimony of God's dealing with him and his cleansing, he had to bring three animals for a sacrifice. But in this case, uh, the sacrifice was provided for him which is also a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't bring Christ to ourselves for an offering to cleanse us uh, uh, from sin and to deliver us from a death in sin. Uh, God sent Him into this world. The Bible says when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. God in His mercy, His grace, and His kindness, He sent forth His Son to come into this world in our back. He provided Him for us. Uh, The Son of God was not somebody that we had to go and retrieve to appropriate His grace for ourselves so that we might be delivered from our sins. But God in His mercy provided himself a lamb as we find in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Jesus would say in the book of Hebrews to the Pentecost, he says, uh, offerings and burned offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In other words, you have prepared me in human flesh so that I can come into this world and that I can present myself for the lepers of the elect family of God so that they might be cleansed and healed of their leprosy. So again it says, The priest shall go forth and he shall command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds alive and clean. Notice the animals that are used here. Now later, again, uh, turtle doves and pigeons could be used in sacrifice. He doesn't specify what kind of bird other than it has to be a clean bird. Uh, As you read in the book of Leviticus, you're going to find what were clean beasts and what were unclean. There were clean fowl, there were unclean fowl. For instance, buzzards are not fowl, uh, clean birds. As we know, they, they're disgusting. I mean, nobody has to tell me not to eat a buzzard, okay? I full well know that I'm not eating that thing. I, I see their behavior, I know what they eat, they're unclean. 
On the other hand, a dove or a sparrow, you can tell they're a clean bird. So the Lord only required that the bird be a clean bird. Now later, again, he says, if the man is too poor and also for other offerings for sin outside of leprosy, if an individual was too poor, such as the case was uh, Mary, when she presented Jesus to the Lord, uh, they were poor. So what did they bring? They brought turtle doves. So if you couldn't afford a bullock or if you couldn't afford uh, a lamb, then the Lord made provision for the poor in the land in the land to bring forth turtle doves or pigeons. But here, and again, you won't find this elsewhere in the word of God, this particular kind of offering. He says, you're to bring forth and command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds alive and clean. Now, when he says alive, these birds, they can't be wounded. They had to be ensnared. They were free birds. They were not tame birds, but they had to be captured. They couldn't be shot down. They, how exactly they snared them, I'm not exactly sure, but they were clean. And it says they were also alive. And he says, in addition to that, you're also to take cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. We'll say, well, what's so important about those three? Well, you're going to find that especially hyssop becomes um, emblematic of atonement throughout the word of God. Excuse me. What is it that David said in Psalm um, 51? He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now hyssop, I, we mentioned this last Sunday night in the Lord's Supper. The hyssop was basically just a, a, a sagebrush. Uh, it was actually not considered great at all among uh, the people of that world, the Egyptians did, though, consider it uh, to be a plant that had healing powers. Whether it really did or not, who knows, but they believed that. So here, two birds are to be brought. Then they're also to take a piece of cedar wood. Wouldn't have been a very large piece. Uh, envision, if you would, a kind of a cutting board with a handle, a, a paddle or something of that nature. He says you're to take cedar wood, and then he says scarlet. Now, the scarlet they would take would actually be like a piece of uh, wool thread. And he says, and then also the hyssop. So you have cedar, scarlet, and hyssop. Cedar, why cedar? Of all the woods, um, the ark wasn't built out of cedar. It was built out of gopher wood. The ark of the covenant or the ark of testimony, it wasn't built out of cedar. It was built out of shittim wood. Why cedar? Cedar is known for its quality of not rotting. It's known for its quality of uh, a preservative power. Uh, in fact, back home in West Texas, fence posts, uh, if they're not metal T-posts, typically you're going to find uh, folks back there cut down cedar trees and they'll make fence posts out of them and they last in the dirt for many, many years. Uh, on my great-grandparents' place, I suspect there's still some cedar posts that my great-grandfather, who died in 1988 and wasn't able to work out on the farm probably for 10 years prior to that, so there's a post out there probably pushing 50 years of age uh, that uh, are standing to this day because he used cedar wood. They are known for their uh, quality of preservation. Think about that for just a moment when it comes to you and I and our uh, deliverance from sin through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I believe in the doctrine of eternal security or the preservation of the saints. 
that the work that Jesus did in redeeming us from all iniquity and delivering us from sin is a work that is done forever, once and for all. That it's a work that once it's completed, it is finished and it never has to be done again. We don't believe in an atoning Savior that atones for our sins. And then when we mess up the following day, He has to atone for us all over again. Now we do understand and believe that we need daily confession and daily forgiveness here in this world for the benefit of our heart and soul and the benefit of our discipleship and our walk with the Lord. But as far as us going on to heaven, uh, the one sacrifice for sins forever by the Son of God on the cross of Calvary has preserved us in Jesus until He comes back at the last day. And so that's why cedar wood is here used. It's uh, speaking of the preservative power of the work of God in delivering us from our leprous sinful condition. And then why scarlet? Because scarlet being red, number one, it typifies blood, but more importantly, it typifies royalty. And number, as we began to look at some of these things beyond what it is for us and how it pictures the Lord Jesus Christ we certainly know that he is the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords and so here he's commanded that what's going to transpire here uh, has to be done with a scarlet rope which indicates once again chiefly the royalty of the son of God and then he says hyssop he says the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water now, as you go on and you read about what's going to, tra- you think, this all seems quite strange. Why would God do this? Well, actually, as you really understand it, it's not strange at all. It's quite beautiful. So here's what the priest is to do. He's to find an earthen be- vessel, a clay pot. And he can't just take any water. It can't be water out of a cistern. It can't be water out of a pool. It can't be water out of a lake. It can't be water out of a pond. It either has to come from a living spring or it has to come from a running river or creek. The reason being that a running river or creek or a living spring was thought to be the most pure and clean water you could obtain. Standing water uh, tends to get polluted. (laughs) Moving water tends to be clean. And so here the priest is commanded, uh, that, and he's also to command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. So in other words, they take the earthen vessel and they would fill that earthen vessel with living or running water. So they would go capture water either from a spring or from a creek or from a river. So here you would have the earthen vessel. You would take one of these clean birds. What kind exactly didn't matter as long as they were in the list of clean birds. That one would be slain and his blood would be shed into this earthen vessel. And now you have clean water mixed with the blood of this bird of offering. And then notice what he goes on to say. He says, as for the living bird, he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. So you have the earthen vessel, you have running water or living water that's put into the earthen vessel. You kill one bird, you pour his blood into that water. So now you have water and blood mixed together. Now you take this plank of cedar wood And uh, the way that you would tie this living bird, you would tie it so its tail feathers uh, would go down into the waters. You also would take the hyssop and it would be tied. So imagine this paddle, if you will, with a handle. You have the bird looking upright. You have the hyssop pointing downward. And then you take this scarlet thread 
and you tie them both together to this cedar board. What's a picture? You see basically a paintbrush. That's the best way I know to describe it. So, but you not only have hyssop, which later on you're going to find hyssop is mainly the way that blood is applied. But in this case, and as far as I can recall right now, this is the only case where this is done quite this way. Now, yes, there'll be a scapegoat later that uh, 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 confession will be made when hands are laid upon its head. And then that scapegoat will be taken by a fit man and carried away and let go into a land not inhabited. And that's a story for another day. This gets beautiful. So here you have, again, this cedar board, a bird tied to it with its head uh, upward, the hyssop downward, tied with this crimson cord, uh, which is a picture, again, of royalty, but also a picture of sacrifice, a picture of blood. And now this bird and that hyssop is dipped down into this bloody water, living water, with the blood of a clean bird, and then the priest takes that uh, paddle out, that brush, however you want to describe it, takes the handle of it, and he's to do something with it. He's to sprinkle, not the altar. This doesn't go to the house of meeting. This is done just to the leper. He takes this uh, brush, if you will, and he sprinkles the man with the blood and water of the clean bird using the living bird and sprinkles him seven times. After the seventh time, when this is completed, then the next thing that happens is that bird that's living is set free. It flies away out of sight. Are you beginning to see a picture develop here? What you're seeing here, an earthen vessel is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, came into this world as the Son of Man. Again, as He said, offerings and burnt offerings, Thou wouldest not, but a body hast Thou prepared Me. When Jesus died at Calvary, understand that Jesus was a man just like you and I. Now we understand that in Him was no sin. Who did no sin? Who knew no sin? That's the reality of the Son of God. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Uh, but notice again the creature that God requires. The two creatures that God commands. Two living, clean birds. Why? They're heavenly creatures. Uh, they're creatures uh, from the celestial, not the terrestrial. It's a picture of where Jesus comes from. It's a picture of where our true deliverance from leprosy or dis, uh, uh, sin and disease uh, descends from. It's not from the earth earthy. It's from the Lord, from heaven. Uh, God has delivered us. How? By the sacrifice of Himself. So God commands these two birds again, living and clean, as a type and picture of the Son of God. Well, what happens to the Son of God? The Son of God, as you'll see in the New Testament, is associated uh, with both blood and water. In fact, you'll find that uh, Jesus came by blood and water. It says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, it says, This is He that came by water and blood. What is that telling us? That He came into this world... Even though it was a supernatural conception, his birth was just like yours and mine. But also in his death, you're also going to find blood and water associated together. In the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John, it says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. What happened? Forthwith came there out blood and water. I've heard a lot of men try to explain exactly what that means. I don't know exactly what it means other than it proved that he was dead. 
Uh, that was the main point is that he was pierced so that his legs would not be broken. And this uh, blood and water coming forth was a testimony that he was now dead. And there was no need to break any bone in his body so that the scriptures would be fulfilled that not one bone of his body be broken. And that's vital. And the reason that's vital is you and I are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if his bones had been broken, that would be emblematic that even one error promise could be lost by the Son of God. But God determined that not one bone of his body, in all of the abuse and all of the tragedy that the Son of God endured at the wrath of the hands of men, and all that they did him, and all the beatings, and all the scourgings, and all the torture that the man of God went through, it's amazing to me that God preserved his bones, that not one of them was broken. If God could preserve the body of the Lord Jesus Christ through all the abuse that man uh, put him through, uh, leading up to Calvary, and also upon the cross itself, I guarantee you that he can preserve the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning his elect family, not one of them shall ever be lost also we find the scarlet uh, cloth the scarlet thread there is pictured in the new testament read in matthew chapter 27 what happened it says they stripped him and what they do they put on him a scarlet robe we also find that he's put upon a cross we see the emblem of wood we also find hyssop at the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 9, uh, 29 of John 19, there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon what? Hyssop. And put it to his mouth. Now it's interesting as this sacrifice occurs and this living bird is dipped into the blood of the bird that has died. What's going to happen is that bird flies away. So long as man could see the sight, what are they going to see? They're going to see a blood-stained bird. They're going to see this offering that's been let loose, set free, bearing the marks of the death of the other animal for sacrifice. In John chapter 20, what did Jesus tell uh, Thomas who had doubted? He says, you reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. What does that tell us? That Jesus, even after his resurrection, still bore the marks of the sacrifice that he made for the people of God. Uh, I believe that when you and I get to heaven, even the glorified Jesus will still bear uh, the scars of the pierced hands and the pierced feet uh, that was uh, done in behalf of you and I so that we would be delivered from our sins. And here, as this leper would be cleansed and this bird would be made free, uh, one slain and one flyaway to freedom, we see a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, who died, but still bears the marks of our deliverance. Uh, you also see a beautiful picture here of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, but as that bird flew away, uh, just as Jesus ascended out of the sight of the disciples, you'll also find a beautiful picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, Paul would say in Romans chapter 4, the very last verse, verse 25, who was delivered for our offenses, that's talking about his death, <laughs> Yet he was raised again for our justification. Paul in that verse couples the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for our deliverance. 
who was delivered for our offense. Delivered what? Delivered to the death of the cross. Uh, he was delivered for our offenses, but he was raised again for our justification. And here in this chapter, we see a beautiful picture of this occurring to cleanse this leper from his leprosy. Now notice it says they, the, the priest, verse 3, would go forth out of the camp. And the priest shall look and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then all this would transpire. Notice this about the Lord Jesus Christ in the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Paul says this in verse 10. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10, he says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Paul's saying the New Testament believer has an altar. We have a table. We have a place to eat. He says, but those who serve the tabernacle, those who are still serving the law of Moses, they have no right to eat of this. There's a reason that you and I believed in closed Communion, or close, if you want to say, either way. Some old Baptist churches believe that only, only the members of that particular church. Close meaning only baptized members of the same faith and order. And I don't care if you take either of those two positions. Uh, our people have traditionally held to close, but either way, what are we saying by it? The reason it's closed to people who have not been baptized into the faith is this. Is because as far as we know, every other denominational order believes that something in addition to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ must be done in order to be saved. Either it has to be belief, it has to be baptism, it has to be uh, abiding in Christ by faithful attendance to the house of God. Any number of rules and regulations that man has set uh, saying that this must be done in addition to the offering of Jesus once for all for sins. And so we... Believe this verse that Paul says, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Understand that anybody who believes in a work system of salvation, they're still under the law. They're serving the tabernacle. And this verse says they have no right to eat of this altar. So he says, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Then he says, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin or burned without the camp. That's how it was done. You didn't burn those bodies right at the tower. You did that outside the camp. There were things that were prepared and done with the offerings away from the people of God. As you read Exodus and Leviticus, remember this, a lot of this that God is going to talk about is God was very concerned about the hygiene and cleanliness of his people. He understood about disease. He understood things long before uh, the professionals of our day did. Remember in COVID, how far away were we supposed to stand away from one another? Six feet. You know how far a leprous person was supposed to stay away from anybody? Six feet. You think the CDC just came up with that? Now, I don't think they read Leviticus. <laughs> um, but studies have shown six feet sufficient. God knew it long before the CDC knew it. And so as you read that, you'll find that God was way ahead of any scientist has ever been. Anyway, he says, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the can. He says, wherefore, Jesus also. 
that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. When these two birds were gathered together, and one was slain, and one was dipped in the blood, and then that beast was sent free, that fowl was let go, where did all that happen? Outside the camp of Israel. This man can't come into the camp yet. He could leave the leper colony. He could start his journey towards the people, but then the priest has to come and meet him. Where did Jesus suffer? He says, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate, meaning outside the city of Jerusalem. He says, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. That just means that you and I, from time to time, need to take a journey in our mind and in our heart outside of the camp of the people of God and go out to where Calvary is in our mind. Again, I'd be, I can't go there literally. I mean, I guess I could. I don't know if they really know exactly where the place is. That's not what he means. He's just saying metaphorically, it's important for the health of the child of God for us from time to time to leave the camp of Israel behind and in our mind and in our hearts go out to Calvary and remember and review what Jesus has done for you and I. The Bible has the story of the deliverance that we have in Christ written all over it. Uh, you'll find it uh, from cover to cover. Uh, you'll see it all over the place. I mean, we've already mentioned Genesis chapter 22 when God said that God, uh, when Abraham said God will provide himself a lamb or a ram for a sacrifice. And that's exactly what happened. What was Abraham saying? Abraham knew uh, that God was going to deliver uh, 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 Isaac from death that day. Either God would step in and there would be a sacrifice provided or God would do this. He would uh, raise Isaac to life again. He trusted that. And there we see a beautiful picture in Genesis chapter 22 of the redemptive power of our Father in heaven. So again, this all takes place outside the camp. Now after, when all this is done, when the bird is killed and the other bird is dipped in and the man is sprinkled seven times, which is the number of completion, the number of perfection, then that bird is set free. Now the Bible says for seven days this man was to dwell outside his tent. He couldn't go back. He couldn't go to the leprous colony. But he also couldn't go home yet. He couldn't go dwell with his wife and children quite yet. Seven days had to transpire. And in that day, in, those time, in that time frame, the day that he sprinkled with blood, he's to shave the hair off of his body. It's, it's an... It's emblematic of exposure, but it also will show that he's fully cleansed, fully healed. And he's also to watch. And then on the seventh day, he's to do so again. Why? Because obviously, so he's got to do this all over again, the seventh day, down to his eyebrows. I mean, God is very specific about it. He lets him know that all hair is to be shaved from his body. Again, showing that uh, he's been healed and cleansed throughout. Now, in the seven-day period, that would be enough time for them to know that he's truly cleansed. That this wasn't just a, a temporary cleansing, but this was a full and complete healing uh, from leprosy. 
And now on day eight, why eight? Because eight in the Bible is the number of new beginnings. Seven is the day of perfection or completion. So in seven days, he's viewed. Seven days, he can't go home. Uh, Seven days in that time, he saves himself. Why? Seven days in that time, he cleanses himself. Why? Now on the eighth day, uh, the day of new beginnings, uh, this man is going to finally be able uh, to not only have uh, interactions with the people of God, he's going to be able to perform a ceremony, a rite, uh, that now is going to bring him in full fellowship with the house of God. On that day, there's going to be two he lambs and one ewe lamb in the first year, picturing strength, uh, uh, picturing youth, picturing, uh, picturing vigor. It's a picture of the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and in that day, uh, you're going to have a sin offering and a trespass offering. Say why? Because he had sinned and he had trespassed the Lord. And so the blood of the sin and the trespass offering was to be sprinkled in the house of God. Now this blood is going to apply to the house of God. And then the Lord is commanding that some of the blood of the sin offering is to be taken. And it's to be put on his right ear, his right great thumb, and his right great toe. Why did God do that? This isn't the first time God's done this. This has happened once before. In the consecration of Aaron the priest, the same thing occurred. In the consecration of Aaron the priest, there was blood that was applied to the ear, to the thumb of the right hand and the right great toe. What is that picture? It pictures that the priest was sanctified in what he hears and says. The ear is a picture of communication. What's the hand? It's a picture of action. What's the foot? A picture of where we go. And so the priest is consecrated. Aaron and his sons are consecrated this way. And they're the only ones. The high priest following after them would not have to go through that rite or ritual. But this man has to go through this. But he goes through it twice. It's interesting. First, it's done with blood. They take the blood of the offering and they put that on his right ear, right thumb, and right big toe. And then there's going to be oil. Because remember, not only was he to bring uh, two he lambs and a ewe lamb, he was also to bring um, flour mixed with oil and then also just pure oil. What does the oil symbolize? Oil in the Word of God is a picture of the Spirit of God and its power and its benefit, its guiding, its helping, its encouraging, its comforting aspect to the child of God in this life. So the blood is applied. Why? Because the blood is the cleansing agent for the child of God. But this is a practical thing for this man. He's already been cleansed by blood uh, when he's cleansed of his leprosy eight days ago. But now he's going through a very public event that others are seeing and here you see blood applied but now following blood which is uh, showing a remission of sins but again this is emblematic this is experiential but now we're going to follow that up immediately by blood I mean excuse me by oil being applied to his ear thumb and the great toe of his right foot why showing that this man is a dedicated man serving the Lord and he's now in full fellowship with the God of heaven. See, these people believed, and rightly so, that leprosy is a picture of sin kept you away from the congregation of the people of God. It kept you away from being able to worship. And when you and I were dead in trespasses and sins, we were kept away. There was a bar against us approaching the house of God. 
Now, obviously, there could be some dead alien sinner, somebody who's not born again, that hates God, that may come to church because their spouse makes them come. Uh, there might be some that come in out of curiosity. Some may be here because they're... We don't know. Obviously, we, but they don't truly approach like you and I do. They may come in. They may sit. They may hear. But it's only going to go so far. It's going to come to a stony heart. But for the child of God, uh, thank God that He has made a way that you and I can now come together with the assembly of the people of God. And now we can uh, not only uh, uh, assemble together, but we can join together to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ publicly by joining the New Testament church and being baptized. And what happens when we're baptized? Uh, there's a beautiful picture of our deliverance from sin when we're baptized. Uh, what happens when I baptize someone right here? Obviously, they start out in an upright position just like Jesus was hanging upon the cross. And what do I do? I lay them back. What's such a picture of? It's a picture of the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ, emblematic that He died. And then what do I do? I bring them forth. What is that a picture of? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So every time somebody is baptized into the New Testament church, you have a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead but it's experiential for that person it's showing that they unite themselves to the reality that Jesus saved them from their sins and hopefully they know they've been anointed by the blood of Christ but they've also been touched by the Holy Spirit of God and hopefully now their manner of communication their manner of activity and where they go will be dedicated to the cause and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ all the days of their life. Now I mentioned there were three lambs, two he lambs and one you lamb. And there was a sin offering, there was a trespass offering. They're closely linked, a little difference. So well, what's the difference in a sin and a trespass? Sin and iniquity could be one of the same trespass. What is trespass? What happens if I trespass somebody's land? I've gone too far. If I go across somebody's property line, I'm now trespassing. I've gone too far. And sometimes you and I, we go too far. We go too far in carnality. What does sin or iniquity mean? Iniquity means falling short. What does the Bible say? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's a sin offering where we fall short. There's a trespass offering where we go too far in sin. It covers both ways for where we don't meet the mark and then where we go over and do too much uh, that displeases God. But there's also a burnt offering. What happens with the burnt offering? With the burnt offering, uh, there's, there is a, a major distinction. In the sin and trespass offering, there's meat that's left. It's most holy to the Lord. And you know what happens with that meat? That is given to the priest and there to consume that meat. It's for their benefit. The burnt offering, not so. The burnt offering, that whole animal, every bit of it, and typically a bullock, but in this case it could be a lamb. The whole animal is burnt, giving the entire animal to the Lord. In the sin and trespass offering, some is preserved and given to the Lord's priest. But in the burnt offering, it's, what's that a picture of? First of all, it's a picture that Jesus gave absolutely all that he had. He gave his very last breath 
And I believe the last drop of his blood for the redemption of his people. So what should you and I do in return? Give all that we have. All our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And love him with all that we have. To serve him to the best of our ability with all that we have. To honor him in all that we have. To give him everything of us. That we would lay out our whole life to him and say, it's all yours. We know that we have been bought with a price. We're not our own. And so hopefully we bring ourselves emblematically as a burnt offering for the Lord. Pouring out our entire selves to him. Saying that we are consecrated in the things that we communicate. And the things that we're going to do. The activity of our hands and where we go. But also Lord we, we want to say we go beyond that. We're giving you everything that we are and all that we have. And acknowledge that it's yours. And all that comes because that heavenly creature, the Son of God, came down and gave his life. But thank God, didn't stay that way, but ascended into the heavens. And now is seated at the right hand of God. But the day is coming when we will behold him with our own eyes. As uh, Job said in uh, uh, Job chapter 19. And I believe we will see in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ the marks uh, that prove our redemption. And we'll see that day the scars that show the deliverance that we have in him. So again, as you read the Word of God, try to, try to, you can over-spiritualize it, I understand that, and you can make it mean what it doesn't mean, but there are some beautiful pictures that you can find in the Old Testament that will teach you more about the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for you and what's expected of us in return. May God bless you, sir.